You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. It's when you start with an understanding that God loves everyone. Justice isn't very far behind. This is what Jesus was accessing when he said that you neglect justice and the love of God. How many times have we witnessed justice or justice for the oppressed, the marginalized, the exploited? It's neglected at best and at worst, it's obstructed. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 262 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is Give Us Today Our Daily Bread, and our feature text is Matthew 6, 11 through 12, Give Us us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Last week we began considering the prayer in Matthew's gospel that's often referred to today as the Lord's Prayer. And this week we're going to continue with the, the portion, give us today our daily bread. Now in the, the previous verse, Jesus prays for the reign of God or the will of God to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But just what is that will? Now, we have to exercise what I believe is extreme caution and care whenever we presume to speak of the will of the divine. Uh, Good can be done from from these discussions. It can be done for the marginalized and the oppressed. But great harm can also be done uh, to, to the most vulnerable among us. So let's proceed this week with a degree of caution. Let's begin with the story found a little later in Matthew's gospel with the feeding of the multitude. This is Matthew 14, 15 through 17. As Jesus approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. What I I want us to notice first about this story is that Jesus objected to the disciples sending the multitude away to meet their own concrete or or physical needs. And too often, some Christians today, they promote this, the the dualistic idea that a person's temporal needs is, those needs are categorically separate from their spiritual needs. And, and, And some faith communities, therefore, they focus purely on the spiritual, believing that a person's uh, temporal needs are of, of less importance. I'll put a, a comic that I love on this subject in this week's Eastside that I think illustrates this, this point uh, beautifully. This story strikes at the heart of, of this kind of dualistic thinking. The disciples wanted to send the crowds away to find their temporal nourishment elsewhere, but Jesus stops them and says, they don't need to go away. You feed them. This month, the, the book to read for Renewed Heart Ministries annual reading course is Gustavo Gutierrez's book, A Theology of liberation. It's timely 
I think that we would also be looking at this passage in Matthew's gospel this month because Gutierrez, he addresses this dualistic thinking too. And and while the, the temporal and the spiritual are distinct, he writes, there is a close relationship between temporal progress and the growth of the kingdom. That's on page 99. So the liberation we find in the gospel stories, it's an integral liberation. It's not about mere post-mortem escape or or a private retreat into to isolated personal uh, piety. Uh, this liberation, it integrates all aspects of each person's being, including the temporal. It embraces the whole person. And, and this is especially relevant to the question of, of what Jesus's teachings have to say to us today in the way of resistance, survival, liberation, reparation, and, and transformation. And again, Gutierrez states, the struggle for a just world in which there is no oppression, servitude, or alienated work will signify the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom and social injustice are incompatible. And he cross-references that with Isaiah 28, or 29 rather, 18 through 19, Matthew 11, 5, Leviticus 25, 10, and Luke 4, 16 through 21. The struggle for justice rightly asserts Dom Antonio Fragoso is the struggle for the kingdom of God. And that's page 97. So the struggle for a just society is very much a part of following Jesus. People's temporal needs, they matter. And Jesus teaches a whole liberation that goes beyond the individual person to include transforming and and replacing even oppressive structures and exploitative social uh, systems. Gutierrez calls for an expanded view of Jesus's liberation gospel. Even politically liberating events in history can be seen as a part of the growth of what Jesus referred to as the kingdom. This being done on earth as it's done in heaven. And every event that leads to to humans becoming liberated, to experience full humanness, can be seen as a salvific event. He goes on, and this is from page 104, nothing escapes this process. Nothing is outside the pale of the action of Christ and the gift of the Spirit. This gives human history its profound unity. Those who reduce the work of salvation are indeed those who limit it to the strictly religious sphere and are not aware of the universality of the process. It is those who think that the work of Christ touches the social order in which we live only indirectly or tangentially and not in its roots and basic structure. It is those who, in order to protect salvation or to protect their interests, lift salvation from the midst of history where individuals and social classes struggle to liberate themselves from the slavery and oppression to which other individuals and social classes have subjected them. It is those who refuse to see that the salvation of Christ is a radical liberation from all misery, all despolation, all uh, alienation. It is those who, by trying to save the work of Christ, will lose it. And again, that's page 104 of of, uh, Gutierrez's book, A Theology of Liberation. So in Matthew, Jesus tells his listeners of a God who clothes the lilies, who feeds the ravens, who makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. This is a picture of, of everyone's 
temporal needs being met and not merely their their needs for survival, but also what they need in order to to even thrive. And everyone has enough. And our present structure, it doesn't look like that at all. Some are are growing increasingly wealthy today, while others are um, experiencing an ever increasing struggle just to survive. In Matthew 19, 21 through 22, Jesus tells a wealthy person, if you wish to be whole, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in the kingdom of heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, this phrase, if you wish to be whole, the wholeness that I believe Jesus was speaking of here, it's a rediscovering or a reclaiming of, of one's humanity. It's becoming whole again. And as we discussed in, in uh, the, the podcast, Another World is Possible, uh, parts one, two, and three, the narrative of scarcity and anxiety and uh, this ever this drive to always be accumulating and the competition that comes with that and, and the violence of protecting what you've accumulated, that narrative is dehumanizing, whether you're you're made poor by the narrative or, or, or you're made wealthy by it. Instead of, of poverty or wealth, Jesus offers a narrative of enough. And this is a narrative where there's enough for, for every person's need. And as in the story of the loaves and the fish, even when we're tempted to embrace a narrative of scarcity, thinking that there's not enough to go around. If we will, in that moment, choose instead a narrative of sharing, uh, like like what happened in the story of sharing our resources in distributive justice, it, it produces enough for everyone. It ends in in gratitude, in cooperation, in connectedness. We begin to face the future with a different posture when we realize that we're in this life together, and if we'll choose to take responsibility for caring for one another rather than hoarding our resources, we can face whatever may come. It's a, it's a collective stance more than an individualistic stance. It's a vision of a, a distributively just world that gives, play, it gives birth to, to peace where, where no one has too little or, or too much and everyone has enough. It's a beautiful vision for a human existence. And it, it was this aspect of Jesus's teaching that led the early church to hold, as it says in Acts, everything in common. And as Luke reports, they, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes daily. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, it says. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And salvation, remember, it's not a, a post-mortem, this being saved, it's not a post-mortem life insurance policy. People were being saved from, from starving to death right then and there. And two chapters later in Acts, we read, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. There's that anti-hoarding but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Those two passages are Acts 2, 41-47 and Acts 4, 32-34. So can you imagine a world where there's enough bread for every Every person each day. Where would 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 
where would world hunger go? This is a world where hunger is no more. This is why Jesus proclaimed, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied in Luke 6, 21. This is a world that is especially in the favor of those that the present world causes to go hungry. And, and those who are, who are made last by the present structures, they become first. And last week we read from Amos about those who valued religiosity more than social justice. And this week, Jesus stands in that same Jewish prophetic tradition. Consider the, the, these words from Luke's gospel. This is Luke eleven forty-two. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Luke and Matthew's versions of this exchange, you can find Matthew's version in Matthew 23, 23. It puts justice in the family of, of what Matthew calls the more important matters of the law. Justice and the love of God are intimately, intrinsically, they're connected. And as Dr. Emily Town says in, in the short film, Journey to Liberation, The Legacy of Womanist Theology, she states, when you start with an understanding that God loves everyone, Justice isn't very far behind. This is what Jesus was accessing when he said that you neglect justice and the love of God. How many times have we witnessed traditional white Christianity emphasizing religiousness or, or puritanical morality, even in word, the love of God, but justice or justice for the oppressed, the marginalized, the exploited, it's neglected at best and at worst, it's obstructed. We've neglected the more important matters of the law. And as Jesus prioritized people's temporal needs, those temporal needs uh, were also to be a priority to Jesus's disciples. And again, Antonio Fragasso, he drives this point home. And uh, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it in Spanish, but the translation is the gospel and social revolution. He writes on page 15, the struggle for justice is also the struggle for the kingdom of God. The gospel should strike the conscience of Christians and stimulate an understanding among all persons of goodwill regarding the liberation of all, especially the poorest and most abandoned. We're not to, again this week, we're not to dualistically divide a person's spiritual needs from their temporal needs. We are whole people. We're whole beings. Jesus's liberation in each gospel included the whole person. This is the example that, that is set for us in these stories to follow. And I long for the day when, when Jesus's name is not immediately associated with the, the supernatural or a, a disconnected, privatized understanding of religion, but it's, it's, it's associated immediately with relief work and, and social transformation and justice work for the, for the vulnerable and the marginalized that would eventually make relief work even unnecessary. Next week, we're going to consider Jesus's phrase, uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors in Matthew 6, 12. But this week, What does it mean to live and to work in harmony with these words of Jesus's prayer for all? Give us today our daily bread. Heart group application, again this week in the context of of Supreme Court confirmation hearings here in the U.S., we are hearing a lot of rhetoric that supports attitudes and a worldview that results in violence against women. And this is the rhetoric of what has been defined as rape culture. It's a tolerance of, of jokes and excusing of behavior 
It supports a, a normalization of a whole spectrum of behavior of which uh, the other side results in violence, degradation, and assault. Jesus stood in defense of women within his own culture. And what does it mean for Jesus followers to do the same today? This week, if you're unfamiliar with what is meant by the phrase rape culture, I'm going to provide four links in our e-site that you can start with that will begin you on a journey of better understanding. And then number two, in your heart group, I want you to take time again this week to affirm the women in your heart group. Discuss as a group what you've learned from engaging the information that are in the links that I that I provided. And then number three, um, I believe it's from making our smaller communities safer that we create a larger world that becomes safer for the vulnerable as well. So what can you do as a group to practice a preferential option uh, for women and the vulnerable in your midst that, that make your heart group a safe place for them. Make a list. What are the things you can actually do? And then this next week, pick something from this list and implement it and keep doing so each week till you've completed your list. And then number four, don't just stop with your heart group. Engage the work of making our, our larger community safer as well. Call your representatives and, and share your concerns too. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Right where you are. Keep living in love, injustice, survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Keep engaging the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate home for everyone. And, and one last thing, as we approach autumn, this is the time of year when Renewed Heart Ministries especially needs your support. And not only are we planning for events next year, but we're working to prevent a, a budget fall, uh, a budget shortfall for, for the present year. So if you've been blessed by our work, please consider making a, a one-time contribution or becoming one of our monthly supporters. You can go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and, and click donate. And any amount helps. And thank you so much in advance for your support. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.